Chris O'Connor here. Join the Curmudgeon Rock Report's invite-only curmudgeonly community at facebook.com slash curmudgeonrock. Also look out for a Spotify playlist that pays honor to this episode. This is the Curmudgeon Rock Report, and this is your podcast made by rock geek iconoclastic outsiders for rock geek iconoclastic outsiders. For those of you who lament that rock music has gone the way of jazz and slipped into niche genre status, we are here to keep that flame alive by providing insight, analysis, recommendations, and honest takes, not hot takes. And hey, there's a good chance you'll learn some rock history you never knew before. After Kurt Cobain's death in 1994... Nirvana drummer Dave Grohl went into a Seattle recording studio for one week in October of that year. He went in with a batch of songs that, before Cobain's suicide, he had mostly written with Nirvana in mind, written in the style of Nirvana, with the hope of at least some of them making it onto a potential future Nirvana album. He played all the instruments, did all the vocals, and recorded the whole thing by himself. He named the project and the projected album Foo Fighters and distributed uh, the cassette that he made from that to his various friends in the music business. It soon garnered major label interest and Capitol Records signed Grohl to a contract and agreed to release the recordings under the Foo Fighters name. By the time of the album's release in the summer of 1995, Foo Fighters were an actual band, and the album became a huge commercial success. It was also a terrific record, a worthy Nirvana sound-alike that had more great songs and authentic soul than any of the grunge wannabe bands out there in the marketplace at the time. Little did we know that as... Dave Grohl's career would progress throughout the years, and Foo Fighters would notch one rock radio hit after another, and he would develop his own musical style and voice, that that style and voice would amount to nothing more than a third-rate, watered-down Husker-Do knockoff. And as the years marched on from the 1990s to the noughties to the teens, to the ridiculousness of their recent induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Foo Fighters have come to embody everything that passionate rock music fans and geeks hate. Conservative, bland, safe, middle-of-the-road, insipid dad rock that appeals to the lowest common denominator of dumbed-down music quote-unquote fan for whom the likes of Radiohead and the White Stripes are a little too artsy and a little too weird. There is literally very little that separates the common Foo Fighters fan from fans of Nickelback or even Creed, except for Christianity regarding the latter. An old friend of mine once uh, queried me regarding my strong dislike of Dave Grohl's band and his music, claiming that I cannot hate them because they're so inoffensive. You see, that's a big reason why I do think they suck. They are so inoffensive that they reach the point of actually being offensive. 
They're offensively inoffensive. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being a nice guy in rock. But if you're, if you're going to be a rock star, you'd better have an edge to your persona as well as your music. There has to be something about you that sticks out, whether it be attitude, confidence bordering on arrogance, or just quirky weirdness. It would be best and ideal if it were all of the above. It's good for rock stars to have both an element of danger in their music as well as in their personas. It's why we remember legends that transcend generations, such as John Lennon, Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, Neil Young, David Bowie, Joe Strummer, Patti Smith, Madonna, Prince, and, yes, Kurt Cobain. It's why we don't remember goofy everyman rockers who cry on stage during stadium shows because they're so overwhelmed that so many people with terrible tastes like their awful music. It's why we really try not to remember has-been rockers who in their middle age get in rock and roll preacher mode and try to get everybody up and singing along to supremely shitty songs like their Gene Simmons and fucking flannel. I'm sure Dave Grohl is a very nice person outside of the context of music, so we'll be nice curmudgeons and keep it to the music for the duration of this episode. And believe me, there's a lot in Foo Fighters' discography to tear apart and shit on. It's the gift that keeps on giving as far as criticism goes, because their albums and overall music just keep getting worse and fucking worse and blander and fucking blander, all the while becoming the very epitome of corporate radio sanitized ear mush. Starting with their supposedly greatest album, 1997's The Color and the Shape, we will break down this unfortunate atrocity of a discography and make the case why they are one of the worst, if not the worst, rock bands to ever be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Here is... Why Foo Fighters are shit. Now, it's pretty clear that I'm not a fan of Foo Fighters at all, obviously. Neither is the other half of this podcast, your other curmudgeon, Chris. But I promise you, we're not the only ones who detest Foo Fighters music. Back in 2013, the blog site CollapseBoard posted an article called when Nice People Make Horrible Music, The Collected Facebook Foo Fighters Vitriol. Brilliant article. It was exactly what it sounds like. Via Facebook, readers were invited to give their two cents as to why they love or hate Dave Grohl's band, and their resounding majority was in the negative. <laughs> Here are some great quotes from those who posted. Quote, The Don Henley of Grunge. Ouch. As loyal listeners to this podcast would know, this podcast, A Curmudgeon Rock Report, defended the Eagles last year in an episode devoted to them. But I get the criticism. For a soft, milky toast comparison, I would have used James Taylor myself. Another one. Middle-aged men worshipping at the feet of Grohl while he bangs out sugar rip-off riffs. Remember when earlier I said Grohl's songwriting style is third-rate Husker Du? Well, Sugar was Husker Du singer-guitarist of uh, Bob Mould's band after he left 
Husker Du after or after Husker Du broke up. So see, I wasn't wrong. Another quote. That's just piss weak FM radio dribble. Yup. Here's another one. All their music kind of blends into each other. Yeah, it sure does. Into a giant miasma of mediocrity. Next quote. The music post-debut album is utter shite. You could tell this person is from the UK. Grohl radiates chancer. (laughs) This one clearly came from the UK, as I said. And again, remember what I said about Foo Fighters' debut being their only good album? Yep. Here's some, that, that's some corroboration right there. Next one. Fucking positivity. Oh yeah, I get this one. For as much as Kurt Cobain loved Grohl as a drummer, do your research into the inner workings of Nirvana's relationships and you'll find that Cobain wasn't always enamored with Grohl and his nice guyness, and he was often annoyed by him. Why? Fucking positivity, man. Next quote. I want them to make an album that sounds like a band in a room, not a shiny piece of overproduced crap. That's Foo Fighters in a nutshell. Overly commercial, sterilized, lifeless rock for sterilized people who don't like Edge in their music. Seriously, fuck those people. Fuck Foo Fighter fans. Next quote. Too much bombastic, overbaked, reaching for the top 20 arena rockage pip with mostly crap lyrics. Nice guys, though. End quote. Oh, God, are Grohl's lyrics bad. We'll get to them later. Next. Lowest common denominator rock, fast food rock. He should put the guitar and microphone down and go back behind the drums where he belongs. Yup. One of the greatest drummers in rock history decided to sling on a guitar and become an exceedingly mediocre frontman for a less than mediocre band playing some of the worst music of the post-grunge era. Next quote. He distilled the essence of power pop, grunge, riff rock, punk by numbers, and stadium rock, removed all joy from the result, and milked that motherfucker for all it was worth. Yeah, that sums it up. Although you can use that description for Green Day as well. Next. Stinking pile of wet manure but no worse than Lenny Kravitz. Ouch. (laughs) Next, ripped off Bob Mould's sugar riffs. There's Husker Du again. (laughs) Next, wouldn't have made it past a corner pub had it not been for his previous job position, drummer for Nirvana, and, of course, Pat Smear. I'm just too fucking smart to like them, end quote. Yeah, the enduring career of Dave Grohl as a rock superstar is really a testament to a a nice guy who knows how to brown nose with record company types. You know, the kind of shit Kurt Cobain hated to do. It wouldn't be that annoying if Grohl's music was, you know, good. Next quote. Just mainstream, straight-up poppy rock. The foos are too sincere and a little smug, not enough humor in the songs, Pretty much everything that punk and then grunge was meant to have blown away. Yep. Next. His lyrics are just awful and the songs all sound the same. Occasionally when drunk, I sing along. I don't know how I know the words. (laughs) That's a sad confession if there ever was one. And yes, another one mentioning the shitty lyrics. Next. The first record was okay. 
after that, there aren't really any songs, and the singing and lyrics generally aren't very good. The arrangements slash sounds are just too rock, quote unquote. That last comment was stupid. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with being too rock. Just be rock in a good way. But again, the lyrics suck, and the first album was the only good one. Next quote. The first record has some great tunes on it, and now it's all testosterone and lame lyrics. Again, shitty lyrics, first album, the only good one. Quote, he seems like a lovely bloke. I don't wish him any harm. I just hope to never hear his band again. Oh, how nice. Next, nice people make horrible music. Well, that's usually the case, isn't it? Next quote. I really like Dave's documentary. The last one was spoiled every time by the Foo Fighters and the awful, awful songs Dave wrote. Yeah, his shitty songs have spoiled rock radio for decades now. Quote, There's a really annoying moment in the Seattle Sonic Highways episode where Grohl is going through his old pre-Foo's demos and acting really embarrassed by them when they're twice as catchy and interesting as anything he's done in the last decade or more. Yup. Next quote. The beige of rock music. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Next. He's Grant Hart for dummies. Ha! Grant Hart, by the way, was the drummer and other singer-songwriter for, you guessed it, Husker Du. Next. Prose, Grohl's enthusiasm for music and his affability. Cons, the songs. Yup. Next, because drummers who play guitar should not be lead singers ever. It defies all Darwinian logic. Yikes, that's harsh. I hope Phil Collins wasn't hearing that. (laughs) Next, Generic alternative rock that is constantly shoved down our throats made by a, quote, nice guy who used to play in actual punk bands and is now touted by the media as the long hair authority on everything. Yeah, remember what I said earlier about sucking up to record executive types? Yup, there you go. Quote, they are a beer commercial. Ha. (laughs) Next, I keep thinking of Phil Collins. (laughs) Double ha! Ooh, really, I hope Phil isn't listening. Anyway, I rest my point about people with good taste not liking Foo Fighters. Now, let us pinch our noses, dive into some foul water, and do an autopsy of the rotting, stinking corpses that are Foo Fighters albums. On this episode, we tossed the Foo Fighters musical legacy into the dumpster and made the case as to why they are total shit. For the next episode, we're going to take a different tack. This new year marks the 60th anniversary of the release of the Beatles' debut album, Please Please Me. Of course, you don't need me to tell you about the mammoth shadow the Beatles cast over 20th century pop music and culture, even into the 21st century. But what people do need reminding of is the importance of one half of the band's creative partnership, the late, great John Lennon. In recent years, younger generation fans and critics have taken a kinder shine to the Paul McCartney half of the Beatles' magic formula, and that's perfectly fine. 
But in music media specifically, there's been a noticeable marginalization of the input of the man who was, in the words and intimations of the other Beatles, the real leader of the band, its cultural barometer, and its media talisman. Without Lennon, Rubber Soul wouldn't have its best ballads. Without Lennon, Revolver wouldn't be psychedelic. Without Lennon, Sgt. Pepper's wouldn't have its undercurrent of darkness. Without Lennon, the White Album wouldn't have its esoteric, challenging art rock core. Catch my drift? Join us next time as we explore his work both within and outside of the Beatles, as the curmudgeon rock report gives you an appreciation of John Lennon. It's generally agreed, not just among Foo Fighters fans, but even people who don't like Foo Fighters, like me, that the first album, the self-titled Foo Fighters album from 1995, is a really, really good album. It's a great record, really. Maybe one of the best rock albums of the 90s. It's just after that where Foo Fighters just, for me and for a lot of people, just really went down the drain. Like I said earlier, once Kurt Cobain, sorry, once Dave Grohl, God forbid Dave, Kurt Cobain, once Dave Grohl discovered his songwriting voice, oh, was it a bad voice. Not just, forget his singing voice, just his style of music, his style of songwriting, bland, vanilla, generic, just, like I said, offensively inoffensive. Let's start. The Color and the Shape from 1997. The song Monkey Wrench was the lead single from this album, and it actually showed some promise. It's basically grunged up pop punk with a pretty impressive ascending vocal scream by Dave Grohl right before the last chorus. But once you get through the album, you get to notice the rot settle in. It isn't quite the conservative, bland, safe, middle-of-the-road miasma that the band would find themselves in years later, but it's getting there. What is My Hero? Is that even a fucking song? A nondescript riff leading to an unmemorable verse leading to something that doesn't even rate as a chorus. What the fuck is this? It's just one clunky chord progression after another. Everlong, the big love song and the biggest hit off the album, and to this day one of the band's most famous songs, is exactly as I and many people I quoted said earlier. Third rate, watered down, Husker do ripoff. The lyrics hadn't degenerated into total shit yet. Grohl really went downhill in that regards later on. But the big rock radio production of the album portends what ugly direction the Foos would embark on soon enough. Calling this the second best Foo Fighters album is the faintest of faint praise. Alright, the next album after this was There Is Nothing Left To Lose from 1999. And here is where Foo Fighters officially begin to suck. Many years ago, Dave Grohl once recounted when Foo Fighters did some shows with Oasis back in 2000. He recalled how Oasis frontman Liam Gallagher strolled in while Foo Fighters were doing their sound check and mentioned in his thick Mancunian drawl how the song Learn to Fly sounded just like Oasis. Liam was right. <laughs> One of Foo Fighters' biggest hits does sound a lot like Oasis. Only if you took the soul out of Oasis 
and watered the song structure and production down to maximum corporate radio effect for vanilla, bland American audiences who thought Limp Bizkit was cutting edge at the time. Earlier, when I quoted social media posts, the comparison to Don Henley was made. Fuck that. This is the grunge Billy Joel. (laughs) And the album as a whole doesn't get much better. Stacked Actors starts with a decent bass riff, but is smothered by a stale, compressed sound and Grohl's strained wannabe macho vocals. (laughs) Generator sees Grohl inexplicably bring back one of the most annoying devices in music history. The Talk Box, made famous by Peter Frampton on his Frampton Comes Alive album and on Aerosmith's Sweet Emotion, where you stick a tube into your mouth and vocalize the sounds coming out of your guitar. It was a bad idea back in the 1970s, and it's even worse now, especially with a totally unmemorable song. Breakout is one of the dumbest, most inane I hate you songs ever written. One Grohl must have written in one minute while he was taking a shit. Next year takes a a jangly Britpop guitar intro and goes goes on into such sentimental rubbish pop that it makes Travis sound as tough as corn. What a piece of shit of a record. Next album, One by One from 2002. Another irredeemable turd of an album. This album contains two of the band's biggest hits. But you know what? They're both terrible. All My Life has the right energy and urgency, but has an awkward, clumsy vocal melody and a totally derivative structure that lacks any kind of staying power. Can anyone really remember the riff to this song? Really? Really? Of course, that doesn't prepare the listener for the maudlin, sentimental, trite bullshit of times like these. One of my closest friends who lives in Florida, who loves Foo Fighters, tried to defend them to me by quoting the lyrics to this song. It's times like these you learn to live again. It's times like these you give and give again. It's time like these you learn to love again. It's time like times like these time and time again. Give me a fucking break. Kurt Cobain must have been rolling in his grave when his spirit heard this. No wonder he was so reluctant to have Grohl's songs on Nirvana albums. The guitar riff in the intro is the song's only redeemable quality, very reminiscent of the cult, even. Low has a cheeky, trying-to-be-humorous video with Jack Black in it, but in the end is just another Foo Fighters specialty. Take a promising riff and bury it in a completely innocuous, forgettable song. Have It All doesn't even have an interesting riff. It's just just a meandering slice of low-fat vanilla ice cream rock. One by one. One track by one track. This album fucking sucks. Next, In Your Honor from 2005. Way back in early 2007, Prince performed what to this day is the only worthy Super Bowl halftime performance. In it, he played a snippet of Best of You, the big hit off of Foo Fighters' fifth album. Why, oh, why would Prince do this? Did he really think that screechy, whiny, overwrought, annoyingly sentimental, there, there's that adjective again, piece of shit? Is he, did he really think this piece of shit was a good song? What happened to Prince's musical taste in his middle age? Seriously, we're in fucking Nickelback territory with this song. And that's not a territory anyone outside of redneck, red state rock wants to be in. This gets my nomination for one of the single worst big rock radio hits of all time. This almost, almost makes Creed listenable. 
DOA continues the shower of shit with more blah, unmemorable, streamlined corporate radio rock filler. Clear Channel, they're now known as iHeartRadio, but back then, they must have really loved this band. <laughs> or better yet, Dave Grohl and his crew must have kissed some serious record label and radio station ass for this kind of mediocrity to get on the radio. No Way Back, Cold Day in the Sun finds Foo Fighters going back to that tried-and-true template, ripping off the Bob Mould half of Husker Du and sucking all the originality and quality lyricism from that influence in order to present a safe, bland, Mickey Mouse version of that for Mickey Mouse rock music fans. There's no way back from hell, Grohl screams in the chorus. Yeah, I'm starting to think he's, just, he's describing a trip down his appalling discography. Oh yeah, and this song it segues into, Cold Day in the Sun. Yeah, sung by Taylor Hawkins. It sounds like a photocopy of any random generic Ace Freely song from any random Kiss album. Yuck. Next album. Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace. Should be Disgrace. This is the last Foo Fighters album to produce a real hit single. The Pretender in this case. What can I say? Starts off with a gentle Stairway to Heaven-esque guitar intro, then blasts into, you guessed it, Husker Du doing New Day Rising, but only if the song had much worse, whiny-ass lyrics and with a non-distinctive structure lacking in any kind of memorable verse, chorus, riff, or melody. Foo Fighters in a nutshell! Long Road to Ruin finds Dave Grohl and company taking every bit of M.O.R., middle-of-the-road, 1970s rock, Kansas, Ario Speedwagon, Early Journey, Foreigner, you name it, and making a cheesy, corny-ass 21st century version of it. What a piece of schlock shit. Cheer up, boys, your makeup is running, tries to be late 1980s R.E.M. with its shiny, happy pop rock. And, well, <laughs> they, and they, they end up foo-fightering the fuck out of it by making it as unremarkable and fucking boring as possible. Not even the influence of one of America's 10 greatest bands can bolster Grohl's suck-ass songwriting. The lumbering, meandering slog of Let It Die makes you wish Foo Fighters would let that happen to themselves. But by this point, this, God, this band is fucking terrible. All right, the next one. Oh, boy. Wasting Light from 2011. Starting here, Foo Fighters, thankfully, don't have any more pop hits. From 2011 onward, their songs will chart high on rock radio, but only after initial release, and that's due to the inflated positivity of their by-now-swollen fan base of middle-aged, paunchy dad rockers with exceedingly mediocre and non-edgy tastes in music. What my older brother's generation are to Eagles fandom is what the corny, mainstream safe side of Generation X are to Foo Fighters. If you thought supposedly peak Foo Fighters from 1997 to 2007 were a god-awful slab of boring marshmallow rock, Foo Fighters of the 2010s say, Here, hold my beer! Rope, the lead single off this wretched album, is a lifeless turd of unimaginative, derivative, plodding, mainstream rock piddle. Not even Taylor Hawkins' nifty drumming can save this piece of shit. By the time you listen to the next single, Walk, you realize that Foo Fighters have become painfully predictable. It's like, you don't have to describe them anymore. Whatever I said before about their terrible music, just, just copy and paste. 
The lyrics to Walk are just atrocious, romantic dross. And just when you think it doesn't get worse, then you have These Days. This just sounds like Foo Fighters hired some terrible professional Nashville songwriters to take a stab at conventional rock radio songs for iHeartRadio. What a sick joke. Okay, 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 okay. I have to interject here. Uh, hey, folks, it's Chris. Uh, first off, uh, where the hell have I been? Uh, well, like other middle-aged guys who've rocked a little too hard in life, I uh, blew out my back uh, late last year. Uh, so I have spent the past uh, six weeks or so enduring a uh, buttock and leg that felt like they belonged to someone else, and then undergoing a four-hour surgery to correct the problem, and then recovering from all that shit. Uh, maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective, but thanks to the Sackler family, the drugs may still work, but they just don't get you nearly as fucked up as they used to. Anyway, I am on the comeback, but, uh, I did need to, uh, kind of, uh, butt in here a little bit because I think Arturo's gone a little too far here in his bashing of Wasting Light. Now, do I think the Foo Fighters are a shitty band for aging grunge dads to take their daughters to go see? Sure do. But two things. One, uh, as I have said a number of times throughout the life of the Curmudgeon Rock Report, uh, Dave Grohl is a rock and roll hero of mine. Now, how he survived that time between 1994 and 1997, when the best songwriter on the planet killed himself and left the best drummer on the planet, that's Grohl, to figure out the rest of the story... I'll never understand, but God damn it, did he navigate things tremendously. Art's already shared the commonly held sentiment that the 1995 Foo Fighters debut is this band's best album. Uh, yep, sure is. But it also is courageous as hell. It literally is the demo tape that Grohl assembled uh, to heal his wounds from losing Cobain and then to make a bet on himself uh, with the labels. Uh, he plays every instrument on the album uh, except for one guitar part from the Afghan Whigs, uh, Greg Dooley. Uh, the main problem here, though, uh, at that point, Foo Fighters was not a real band. It was a, uh, a kind of a jokey uh, label on the demo tape that Grohl had come up with. But then Grohl decided to turn it into a real band. Now, sometimes the road to mediocrity is paved with the, quote, us against the world, uh, end quote, spirit of rock and roll. Grohl catered to his bandmates and he got safe. And there he went to the mediocrity uh, fields of yore. Uh, that is what I suspect was bottled up inside of Arturo these past 25 years uh, that turned him uh, into the Incredible Hulk on this episode. Uh, for the most part, me too. Mostly. Uh, 2011's Wasting Light, I think, is the shocking exception to the 21st century Foo Fighters narrative and general rule. For the most part, Wasting Light is a very strong, incredibly well-produced, incredibly well-performed album. Butch Vig, of Nevermind fame, uh, came back into Grohl's orbit to produce this album on analog equipment with many of the tracks recorded live. The band plays these songs like they're pissed off and they are double parked. The riffs crunch. Actual rhythm and discernible strong structures propel many of these songs. Some of the songs, especially album opener Bridges Are Burning, 
beautifully shift from aggressive to pretty and back. And you know, Arturo says that he hates the song Rope and he takes no uh, pains in uh, very explicitly telling you why he hates it. But honestly, he's out of his fucking mind here on this one. Uh, Rope not only marks the first instance where I uh, said to myself, hey, you know, this Taylor Hawkins guy is a damn good drummer. Uh, It also features the best riff that Grohl had busted out since Monkey Wrench a decade and a half earlier. And there's also some kick-ass rhythmic interplay with Pat Smear. Uh, Remember, there is a reason why uh, why underground uh, punk aficionados and even their guys, uh, these guys in their 60s, adore and uh, worship Pat Smear and his old band, The Germs. Why? Because the guy is fucking good. Uh, But inevitably, as Arturo correctly points out on this episode, Dave Grohl just can't help but be doofy by numbers Dave Grohl and kick himself in the crotch. The most well-known song on Wasting Light is, of course, also its worst. Uh, Yours truly curmudgeons do agree on one thing about this album. Walk is an unsufferably phony piece of garbage. It also closes uh, this album, Wasting Light. And to me, that just sucks, and that probably is what keeps Wasting Light from getting its just due. But, hey, three-and-a-half-star album at the very least. Uh, Check out Wasting Light uh, on all of the uh, streaming services, uh, no matter which one you use. Now, uh, let us return to Arturo's epic rant, the rest of which I endorse and embrace without reservation. Talk to everyone next episode when I will be back on the horn, actually live from Texas, to engage Arturo in a back-and-forth on John Lennon. The next one. Sonic Highways from 2014. Eight songs recorded in eight different cities with eight different groups of boring-ass guest stars. At least with this album, the band tries to stretch themselves stylistically, even if the songs aren't really there. Something from nothing has a bluesy feel to it, even if the lyrics are generic, vague, middle-aged rocker philosophizing bullshit. Congregation is middle of the road, there's that description again, cock rock, and is recorded with the truly awful country band, the Zac Brown Band, and is some innocuous commentary on the Nashville music scene. Somehow I think Kurt Cobain would have had something smarter to say about that. Joe Walsh of the James Gang and the Eagles fame joins on Outside and just sounds like any third-rate corporate radio red state rock band a la Three Doors Down. A thoroughly unmemorable album except for the road crew who filmed the accompanying documentary series. Too bad they couldn't film more inspiring music being made. Next, Concrete and Gold from 2017. Hey, at least good intro riffs are back with with the lead single, Run. And nothing else, really, except for a clumsy chord progression for the verse and a lame, unarresting chorus. The line is a shitty attempt at shitty generic indie rock with its overproduced sheen. The skies and neighborhood is a stupid macho rock growler with stupidly inane lyrics that makes rising suns and blackberry smoke sound like Radiohead by comparison. At this point, you have to wonder about the IQ level of the people who fill up arenas to watch Foo Fighters play, much less their horrid tastes. And then, finally, Medicine at Midnight from 2021. Good lord. And this downward plunge into the depths of Dante's Inferno finally ends. 
Unfortunately, some of the worst mainstream rock music of the 21st century doesn't, as Foo Fighters' most recent album is another 10-pound piece of shit wrapped in a flatbread wrapper made of the most generic Wonder Bread. What the hell is Shame Shame? Mid-tempo pop soul with no discernible qualities sung by the most unsoulful rock frontman ever? What about No Son of Mine? Who the hell out there likes this testosterone-soaked, Pro Tools-hacked, fourth-rate hijacking of mid-1970s queen pomp with wannabe Elvis Costello vocals? And then there are the more simplistic than kindergarten math histrionic lyrics and corny-ass folk rock of Waiting on a War. Just wow. They're a hard-working band, all right. It takes a lot of work to suck this consistently and this badly for more than 20 years. And that's it, folks. I'm done. Delving into the miserable discography discography of the most wretched of bands, it's like enduring the slow torture of continuous anal rape. It's like the musical equivalent of the Unga Bunga joke. God, you know, I hope, I hope all of you out there appreciate the effort that yours truly curmudgeons put into this podcast. Fucking Foo Fighters, man. They, they have to be, at least arguably, the single worst band to ever be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What a shower of radioactive horse manure. Fuck this band. So that was awesome, right? If you enjoyed this... Please feel free to join our curmudgeonly community on Facebook at facebook.com slash curmudgeonrock. And as always, if you have uh, random musings, thoughts, complaints, or anything else, you can hit us up at curmudgeonrock at gmail.com. 